Now, we're starting a new sermon series today on our vision, uh, our vision, and why we're doing what we're doing. Why are we going where we're going, and how can God lead us in that process? And so, vision is, is a big deal, we're going to talk about why that is and how it, it comes into effect, and, and, and uh, if you were there at our vision night, you heard a lot of information, uh, but I'm gonna, I really want to take our time over the next four weeks to ask God to, to lead us and, and guide us as we think through where God would have us to go. We do serve a good God. I've been here now as our lead pastor for about two and a half years, uh, and in that two and a half years, we've seen God do some really pretty awesome things. We have over 160 people uh, join our church in that time, while we've seen at the same time, we've taken on two building projects, and God has paid both of those off. Uh, so in two years, we've had off two building projects. Currently, we are debt-free because of how God has provided for those things. We did our stage and our sound system, our children's area, adult D group space. And uh, if you notice, we're having some light issues this morning. That's going to be a new project. And if it keeps up, I'll throw a motion out in the middle of this sermon. Can I get an amen? Uh, and so we are not done yet. There's some other things that we want to do and some things that we know the Lord is really uh, putting in front of us. And so you're going to be hearing about that over the next four weeks. But what I wanted to do at the beginning of the sermon series is to talk about what vision is and why it's important and why this is not a new thing uh, from God's Word. He led with, with vision. And so we've seen God do so many awesome things. Uh, next, uh, matter of fact, tomorrow, our new children's pastor is going to be starting. We've seen God send out groups to Uganda to be on mission for Him. Here in the States, we've sent out teams to help build a church. We had somebody with just recently helped build Habitat Humanity House. We've seen uh, another adult group is getting ready or preparing right now to go uh, at the end of this year back to Uganda. And at the end of this service, you're going to see how one of our students has given up uh, the first semester of his college to go and serve in Uganda. And so we have seen God do a lot of things right in our midst, and it's good. Amen, church? I mean, it's good. We enjoy that. We want to thank God for his goodness. And if I'm honest, I don't know that I've probably led enough celebrating all the things that God has done in our midst. I mean, God's doing a lot of things, and often, I mean, you don't know about it, or you don't hear about it. So one of the things we're committed to is to make sure that we are celebrating all the things that God is doing in our church. So why are we going through with a, a, a time where we share some vision, and why now? Well, let me share this verse with you. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says that without revelation, people run wild. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. Some of your translations might say that without vision, people perish. Well, when King James was written, the word vision was synonymous to biblical revelation. That God gave vision, or he, uh, he made things clear where people could see, and it was through his word. He, he would give a prophet or people a vision of what is to come, and it was authoritative. It was his word. The problem is now a lot of times when we're sharing vision, we're not leading always with God's Word. So really, when I say we have some vision over the next four weeks, what I want you to understand is all we are doing is making and giving you biblical revelation. All, there's nothing new. We're not that creative. We're not that good. All we are doing is unpacking what we see God telling us to do in His Word. And we want to make it as crystal clear in our church. I'm talking, if you're here today, and you've never gone to church, you didn't grow up in church, you don't know Jesus, you don't know the gospel, we want you to be able to come into Shirley Hills and understand who we are and what we are about based off the Word of God. And so we're just breaking it down. 
into just three simple words, to love, to grow, and to send. We want to make it crystal clear. You're going to see it on walls. It's going to be everywhere. And we're going to unpack why. And here's why. Because without revelation, without biblical revelation itself, without divine instructions, people run wild. What happens in your home with your children if you don't give them some parental instructions? A mom just but y'all hear that a mom's like I can tell you what happened it was this morning and so you, what happens if you don't instruct your children and they go crazy they go wild and then what happens when they become teenagers they say something like this I don't want your instruction anymore I, I've got my own instruction but students what you need to know is there's a reason that God says to honor your mother and your father to, to hear their instructions and allow them to guide you it's for your good it, that instruction is they've been there done that They've messed up the way that you want to mess up, and they don't want you to. They want to give you that instruction for your good. So we want to take the Word of God, and we want to bring out instruction according to how it applies to Shirley Hills, not so that we'll run wild, but so that we, it says that divine instructions, ultimately, you know what it leads to? Our happiness. Now, how many times when you're reading through the Bible, or you're hearing a sermon, or you're involved in something, and God convicts you, and you go, this doesn't make me very happy? Whether God's calling you to something, he's calling you to a task. Uh, man, I've just recently trying to get back into exercising and working out, and I can tell you, it doesn't make me very happy as I'm doing it. But you know what the end result is? I feel a lot better. Now, I can barely walk. I don't know if y'all noticed, I like limped up the stage today. I feel like sore and hurting, but it's ultimately, it, it's for my good. What God has for his church we walk through his word what God has for you and I it is for our good and his glory so we want to unpack it so that we can experience all the goodness that God has for us amen all the all the goodness that God has I want every good thing I can get from my father I want every bit of it I don't want to miss out on a single thing God has for you and I I think about this a lot and I think this is a lot of what drove where we are I really, I, I probably think about this once a week as a pastor. I know that one day I'm going to breathe my last. And I hope that God's going to let me preach the gospel until I need somebody to help me get up on the stage. And then I hope I preach a sermon, I go home, kiss my family and say, I'm going to heaven. And then God calls me home. I don't want there to be any, I want to preach until Jesus calls me home. It's what God made me for and I want to do that thing. But here's what I think about. Let's say God lets me, I mean, preach until I'm 90. Man, forget that. Vitamins are good these days. I'm talking 110, baby. I'm giving it for Jesus, and I mean with passion, and, and I just am able to do what God's called me to do. Some of y'all are counting right now, so we're stuck by 110. So, whoa. Some of you right now are going, there is no way in Jesus' name that Shirley Hill is going to have Jacob for 80 years. Don't you doubt Jesus like that on me, bro. I'm coming. I'm coming. Here's what I think about, though. If God lets me live to that long, and I stand before him face to face, not only do I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know what I, I really think a lot about? I don't want to miss out on a single thing Jesus had for me in my lifetime. I don't want to miss out on anything. Not only, though, is it for me, but God's called me to shepherd, as you're going to see in the text today in Acts chapter 20. God's called me a shepherd to lead our church. And so not only do I personally not want to miss out on anything God has for us, man, I don't want Shirley Hills to miss out on a single thing God has for us. You're going to see this a little while later, but man, I've been watching my kids grow, and it's amazing how if one kid can do something, 
another kid will learn it quickly because they don't want to miss out on the good. Man, I believe God has good for us. Here's some things he wants us to accomplish, and we don't want to miss out on it. So in Acts chapter 20, we're going to walk through a, a passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul has been for three years church planning, or we call it missions, but all missions is, is church planning, winning people to Jesus, connecting them with the local body to grow deeper, and then you keep multiplying that effort. So that's what he was doing. He's planning churches, and he's calling out leaders in the Bible. The leaders in the Bible are called pastors, or elders, or shepherds. All of those words are synonymous, which means you can interchange them. They're all the same position. They're just describing a part of the work that they do. And so Paul would go in, lead people to Christ. He would establish a leadership as pastors or elders. Then he would call them to lead the church. He would launch them out and do it all over again. And so he's been here for three years, pouring his heart into uh, these, these elders in the area of Ephesus and Macedonia. And he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And he's, he's called all these leaders together because he's about to leave them. And he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem and die. And he knows it. So he's given them kind of his last leading words and he does it and he shares a little vision with them so here we go we're going to start in verse 22 i'm going to walk you through it i'll explain some things as i go so we'll start and stop and then we'll unpack what it means for us starting in verse 22 he says and now i'm, I'm on my way to jerusalem compelled by the spirit now in our, our last four weeks we've been walking through how the holy spirit's involved in our life and it's amazing how many of you have told me after we've preached and talked about the Holy Spirit, it's amazing how when I read the Bible, the Holy Spirit shows up everywhere. Just look in this little section how the Holy Spirit is involved. He says, I'm, I'm being compelled by the Spirit. So how is he being led by God? The Holy Spirit is compelling him. The Holy Spirit of God is compelling his heart. He's, he's speaking to his heart. He's guiding his passions and his desires within his heart. And he's compelling him with passion and leading him to a, a work. And here's what it is. Not knowing uh, what I will encounter there in Jerusalem, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are awaiting for me. So here's the Holy Spirit. He's leading him. He's compelling him to go to plant churches. And the Holy Spirit says in every city you go, it's going to be hard. You're going to have difficulties. There's going to be trials. So for some of you who think, I'll know that God is telling me to do a certain thing and it'll be good because it'll be easy, you've missed it. The Holy Spirit doesn't just call you to easy things. He calls you to things that are impossible for you to do by yourself. He calls you to tasks that are difficult and hard. That way he can show up in the power in his might and say, look what I've done. You didn't do this. Paul didn't do this. It says the Holy Spirit is doing this. Listen to verse 24, though. He says, but I consider my life of no value to myself. I mean, what a statement. He says, but I, I don't consider my life of any value to me. Honestly, we could stop right there and that dog will hunt, won't it? That sermon will preach. This whole text is sent out in that Jesus has done such a work in his life that he says, I find no value in my life in and of myself. It's not for me. It is for God and for others. That is love. You want to know what love is? Love is sacrificial. And he's displaying his love in action that my life is no longer a value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of God's grace. Yeah, I don't know what exactly your task is, but here's what I know. Every person was saved to serve. Every person was saved to make a difference. Every person who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, he saved you, you've seen his grace and his mercy. God has a work for you to do. So let me ask you, what's your purpose? Where do you fit into what God wants to do? 
every one of you have a place. It's one of the difficulties of the church. Sometimes it's easy to hide in the pew, but where's your purpose? And that might be what you would pray. Write it down right now. Lord, I want to go from my pew to my purpose. What do you want from me? Well, what are you asking of me? What is my calling? He says, I know what my calling is. It's to share the grace of God. I want to complete that. I want to finish my course. So here's how he does it. Here's what he says. I want to show you how I've lived that out. Look in verse 25. And now, he says, I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Let's stop right there. I mean, let's just stop. And I want you to ask yourself if this guy who is filled with the Spirit of God comes in and, and leads you to Christ. Uh, you're a Gentile. You've now come to know Jesus. You weren't raised in this uh, the profession of faith. You didn't know all the things. You didn't know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy like the Jews were memorizing before they were 13. You didn't know all that. And this guy's coming in and he's shared with you that Jesus loves you so much he died on the cross for your sins. That you can be saved. That you can have life forevermore. That you can be grafted into the family of God and you surrender to Jesus. And that guy stays around for three years. He helps establish your church and you get involved and you're growing and you're maturing. And now he comes to you and says, hey, by the way, I, I'm about to leave. You're never going to see me again. What do you say? Talk back. What do you say? No! I don't want you to do that. You're, I'm never going to see you again. Let's put it this way. Parents, your children come to you after this sermon or they come to you at another time. They say, hey, mom, dad, listen, I just want you to know I love you so much and I'm so thankful for your influence and all that your investment is in my life, but I want you to know the Holy Spirit of God is compelling me to go. The Holy Spirit of God is compelling me to go, and I will never see you again. The Holy Spirit has told me, not only am I going, but where I'm going, chains and afflictions and death await me, but Jesus is worth it. So mom, dad, I want you to know I love you. I'm about to go. Parents, what do you say? Be honest. What? Some of you are right now, you ain't going to make it to 80 years preaching at Shirley Hills. You keep talking about that crazy stuff. Ah, no, no, no. My kid's like, is Jesus, is he worth it? Well, yeah, but that's for someone else. The Apostle Paul is telling them, I'm being sent. I'm going to go. God, he's, the Spirit of God has led me, and, and I know that I'm never going to see you again. So once they know I'm never going to see you again, how much are they going to listen to what he's telling them? These are his final words. He's, he's going to give them vision. He's going to share. He's going to lead me. He says, therefore, knowing that you're never going to see me again, the Holy Spirit is leading me, therefore I declare to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. He says, I've been faithful to share the gospel, to do what God has called me to do, and he says, to unfold the whole plan of God. What does he mean when he says, I've unfolded the whole plan of God to you? He says, for three years, I've been casting vision and showing you from Genesis to now, God's plan to redeem or buy the world back from their sin. I've been sharing, I've been vision casting how the church works, how you leaders operate, what God has called you to do, and how we're going to unfold this. I've been casting vision for three years. I've been unfolding the plan of God, and now I can wash my hands knowing I've been faithful to this task, and I've been doing all that God's called me to do. So now let me teach you. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own one, on his own blood. By the way, who appoints shepherds and overseers? God does. The Holy Spirit of God leads. 
The Holy Spirit of God is involved in, in putting and appointing oversight and leadership within the church. Verse 29 says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. Let me give you a few things this morning, I think from this text, that we can grasp or learn as we think about vision and, and why it matters. Why vision is important to you and I in the kingdom. Number one, vision is important because it keeps decisions missional. Vision is important because it keeps decisions missional. If you know where you're going, if you can see what God has for you, then you can make decisions to accomplish that mission, to get there. To get to where you're going, why are you doing what you're doing is the most important question asked today. We hear it on the regular when people visit our church. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why are we doing what we're doing? Some of you are questioning, like, man, I listen to Vision Night. Why are we doing this or why are we doing that? That's probably not what I would do or that's not the way that I would do it. Here's the deal. If the Ephesian elders could have it their way, they would not have sent Paul to go die in Jerusalem. They would have kept him. They would have kept him there. They would have said, you're going to stay with us, and we were, we're going to do it for us. But he says, no, I'm, I'm not making a decision emotionally. I'm not making a decision personally. What's good for me, matter of fact, he says, I found my life of no value. I have emptied myself. It's not what I want. It's what does Jesus want, and I know the Spirit of God is leading me to Jerusalem, and I'm going to do that thing. You see, Paul understood something. Paul grasped something that I think that we could be missing today in the American church. And that is that the church is a part of the army of God on mission to declare to the world that Jesus died on the cross that they could be saved from their sins. We are a part of his army. When we think about what we are as a church, some of us think of the church like a civic organization. We're here to gather, we're here to talk about certain things, we're here to make everybody feel good, we're here to do some good in our community, and then we kind of go back to our homes. Others think about the church like a a country club. I don't know if anybody of you have ever been a part of a country club membership. I haven't. But here's what I know about them. You, you go to one country club and you say, hmm, what amenities does this country club have? Man, they've got a nice golf course. They have a nice pool. Some of you are like, yep, I work at one of those country clubs. And you've got golf course, you've got pool, and you've got tennis courts, and nice parking, and it's clean. And you're like, oh, okay. So for all of that, it costs me this much a month. Sounds good. And then you go to another country club. And, hmm, let me see this country club. It has this has golf, and the golf's not as good, but man, this place, and the tennis court's okay, but it's got a sauna, and this has got, like, this place is awesome, I like this portion of it, I kind of like this better, and it's a little bit cheaper per month, I like these amenities for this price. Some of you, that's how you think of the church. Man, I, I, what can I get, what, what, what can I get for the cost? See, some of you, you might go to another church, or you're watching online, and you like to go to this other place, because for you, there is no cost. There is no involvement. There is no sacrifice. There is no getting in it. You can just kind of sit in the pew and hide and, and then go back to doing your thing. You can get encouraged or get a good word from God. Your children can be ministered to, and you're like, man, that's awesome. But here's the deal. God did not establish the church, the text tells us. He did not purchase the church with his own blood for us to be a country club or a civic organization. We are the church of the living God. We exist for the sole purpose of making disciples to the end of the earth. That is why we are here. 
We're not here to be a, a, a man, we're, we, we're like a, a vacation spot. And you're like, hey, pastor, you know, this is kind of making me uncomfortable. Will you rearrange the deck chairs for me? You know, I, this is kind of what I want. We're not a cruise ship. We're a battleship. And there's a war for men and women and boys and girls. There are people in middle Georgia who are dying and going to hell every single day. And Shirley Hills exists not to make you feel good or not to make you feel comfortable, but that you would get all of Jesus that you can get. And when you taste and see that he is good and you are filled with the Spirit of God, he then begins to change and transform your life and to equip you to do the work of the ministry. The ministry is to make disciples to the ends of the earth. Paul understood that what he was doing was all about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that is it. That was the focus. So why are we sharing vision? It's to keep our decisions missional. Are we accomplishing what Jesus would have us to accomplish? To love, to grow, and to sin. So he says, I've been sharing with you the whole plan of God. I've been giving you, I've been casting vision for three years to you to see the plan that God has for you. And now I need to go and obey God. But before he does it, he warns them. He says, I want you to be on guard. Let me show you some of the ways that he warns. The, the, remember, he's talking to leaders. He's talking to pastors, overseers, elders. And he's saying, I, I want to warn you. Here's how you should be on guard. You're on guard, number one, in that you're an overseer and a shepherd. He's reminding them that God has placed you where you are to overlook, to oversee the, the body of Christ, to oversee that the mission is being accomplished. And he says, and he reminds them, you need to understand the high value of this. Jesus purchased the church with his blood. The only way that we are the church is because we have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus died so that we can have the privilege to be a part of the family of God. Let me say that again. He values his bride so much that he died to purchase her. And one day the Bible tells us he's going to return for his bride in the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be amazing. But that's how he loves us. And so he reminds them, pastors, I've, I've placed you as an overseer, and a shepherd. Here's what that means. That one day, you and I, we're both saved by the grace of God, filled with the Spirit of God. There is absolutely zero thing different between you and me. I, I'm not, so don't elevate pastors like we're just sinners, saved by the grace of God, filled with the Spirit of God, but gifted and led by the Spirit to use our gifts in an overseeing shepherding way but here's what that means one day i will stand and give an account for how i oversaw and shepherded shirley hills baptist church and what i want to be able to say personally is that i could wash my hands or clean of the blood because i've been obedient to do the thing the holy spirit has called us to do so at the end of the day i, I was meeting with a, a pastor uh, this week and with some of our members we were talking to another pastor and in, in this discussion we we're talking about it, and he says here's my struggle he says, my struggle is, I, I serve at a church, I'm serving now, and, and it's hard because I feel like the Holy Spirit will be leading us and telling us what we need to do. But then when we begin to roll out what the Spirit of God is leading us to do, man, if some people don't like it or some people are struggling with it, we'll just say, oh yeah, you know, you're, maybe you're right, we, we're not going to do that. I, one day I'm going to give an account that I have done what the Holy Spirit of God has led me, oh, and I say not just me, understand, this is a plurality, we serve as a team. It's elders, pastors. So our whole pastoral staff walks through these things. And one day we are going to give an account for how we oversaw and shepherded our church. That's a, a way, this is a warning. This is a, a way that we're on guard. This is a way that we stay missional. That's why I'm here. Secondly, he says not only should you be on guard through the leadership, but secondly, you know, there's savage wolves. Now, 
he holds no punches here. He doesn't like go politically correct and be like, oh man, there's just some people who just need a little bit more of like God. He's like, no, these are savage wolves who he says will not spare the flock. I mean, think about a wolf that gets a hold of a, a, a flock of sheep. Do they just kind of like hang out with them a little bit and it's like, you know, listen, I'm sorry that I'm going to have to take your life to eat. You know, let me just, if I can just pull you to the side, let's do this cleanly, nicely. No. They go, and I know you're like, this is graphic. This is the language he's using. They are savages that destroy the sheep, and they eat them. And he says, you need to understand, this is the picture that you need to see that Satan will do to prevent the church from accomplishing the mission. How does the text talk about Satan? It says that he's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so think about this. What he is saying is you need to understand pastors. That as you lead and as you go to accomplish, just like God is gifting us and sending us people who have gifts and are ready to use, that Satan is going to also do his best to send people from within the congregation to prevent you from accomplishing the mission of God. That as you look out, we don't know, we, God knows every person, but there will be people that try to stop that, that try to prevent that. So he says, understand, that he says that men will rise up even from inside. It's like, man, this is kind of... This is crazy. He, he's not holding back. He says they're not going to always, the attacks aren't always from the outside. Sometimes they're from the inside. Some, those are the ones that are the hardest or hurt the most. And he says, here's how you're going to know who they are. He said, they're going to say, follow me. Follow me. Church, hear me. One of the ways that you can know a prophet of God versus a false prophet, a, a, a pastor who's following the Lord and a false one, is one who does not say, follow me, but one who says, follow God's word. That's how you can know. Somebody comes up to you and is like, hey, I don't know about this, I don't know about this, I don't know about this, okay. And they say, no, follow me, I think this is a better way. Stop, like, what does God's word say? Because what we should always do is test it against God's word. He is warning us that within the church today, we see this, how many pastors or people who have taken platforms or pulpit that people follow blindly have no longer preached the word, they don't preach truth. And he says, be careful of that. That some of this will come from within. These savage wolves. So here's how he, he lastly he says, I commit you to God and the word of his grace. Look at verse 32. He says, and now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance uh, amongst those who are sanctified. This is the exact same language in the book of Ephesians where he says, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which is able to build up the body of Christ. The same word is to build up. He's saying it will build you. What do we need? Man, we need the Word of God to guide us and to lead us and, and that our vision will be rooted and centered in, in the truths and the power that is found in the Word of God. This is what we want. And so when we think about making decisions and, and moving forward, we ask ourselves, what is missionally right? What helps us accomplish the mission that God has given us? But there's a second one here. And I think this is a, a big part of, of why he calls the elders together and not just writes them a letter. He delivers this personally because also it produces synergy. Vision produces synergy. The word synergy is, is really popular right now against like corporate America. You might hear synergy this, synergy that, but before corporate America got a hold of synergy, it actually comes from the Bible. It's actually a biblical word. Synergy is defined as the interaction of two or more forces so that their combined effect is greater than the sum of their individual effects. Let me say it again. It is, is the interaction of two or more forces so that their combined effect is greater than the sum of their individual effects. Uh, the word comes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 through 30, when the Apostle Paul is, is really praising a man named Epaphroditus. 
Epaphroditus, he calls him a, a co-worker or a laborer in verse 25. Uh, matter of fact, let me just read verse 25 to you. It says, but I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my needs. Uh, the King James Version calls him a, a companion in labor. Uh, and the, the New American Standard calls him my fellow worker. That word uh, that is used there that we transliterate is called synergios, is how we get the word synergy from. And what he is saying is that you're my co-laborer, that together, because of the work that we do together, we can accomplish more than if individually we went and worked on our own. Uh, maybe let me give you an example on this. There was uh, a horse pulling competition. Anybody ever been to one of those? Nope, me either. So it is a thing. And what they do is they take these horses, farmers bring their horses, and they say, we want to see who has the strongest horse. And so they, they have this slate that they have to pull, and the, the champion winning horse pulled 5,000 pounds. That's pretty strong, 5,000 pounds. The next horse comes in, it was in second place, and it, it pulled 4,000 pounds. So they wanted to see, you know what, let's take the two, the two first and second place strongest horses, and let's link them together, and let's see how much they can pull. Now you would think, well, if one pulled 5,000 and the other one pulled 4,000, they're going to pull 9,000. Some of you are getting your brains going in school. Good job. Some students are going, it's 9,000. You would think they're going to pull 9,000. Well, here's what they do. They link them together. They put 9,000 on there. They pull it easy. They put 10,000 on there. They pull it easy. They put 11,000 pounds on there. They pull it easy. They pulled over 12,000 pounds. Because when they link the horses together and they work together, they were able to accomplish increasingly more than they can do, even though they were fully working hard by themselves. This is a biblical calling that we see over and over and over in the Bible. We see this Jesus doing this when he sent them out in two by two. Because when two people are working together, he says there's a witness and there's an accountability and there's a strength. When two people labor together, your gains, it says, are better than if you did this by yourself. So synergy is about us interacting and, and our combined effect being greater than if we did this on our own. You see, what Paul understood is that as they, he used the word elders, plural, as they led together and they worked together and the church came together to accomplish the mission of God, we can do far more together pulling in the same direction than we can ever do on Why do we feel like we need to share vision and why is vision important? Because if every member of Shirley Hill said, I'm going to go labor for the kingdom, and we all went out and gave 100% effort in our own way, it would never touch the, the strength and the impact that we can make if we came together and worked together. That's why things in, the, in our, our history and our past in Shirley Hills have been so effective. Why do you think Walk Through Bethlehem went so well? It's, Walk Through Bethlehem was not such a huge impact because it was a creative idea or it was unique or it was, it was new. It was awesome because everyone in the church worked in the same direction to do it. The reason that our demo day here when we tore down our stage was so effective and good is because every man grabbed a jackhammer and tore the stage up and we were done in an hour. Because, look, you could have done all you want to by yourself, but it will never touch what we are able to accomplish when we work together. So let me give you five questions as we think about how we conclude and we look forward with our vision. Number one, why should I not fly solo? Answer that. Personally, you need to answer for yourself, why should I not fly solo? You can go try to make disciples. You can go preach the gospel. You can go do all you want to do, but you will never make the impact that you will if you're not a part of the church and you work through the church. This is what happened. The apostle Paul never tried to fly solo. 
Go every missionary journey he had people with him. He was always working through local churches and congregation of people, and they worked together. So why should you not fly solo? Answer that. Are you flying solo today? Maybe some of you, and I hear it all the time. Well, you know, I don't need the church. I can go do this on my own. You can. You just won't experience synergy. You won't experience the momentum of joining in with the people to say, we're going to work together. We're going to accomplish this together through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to watch God do a work. Secondly, why do you think it is so important that we move everyone and every ministry in the same direction? It's for synergy. I mean, if two horses are pulling together and they can pull way more, how much less would they have pulled if two horses were going in this direction and another horse was pulling against it? We need every ministry, everything, every person, every member, all saying this is who we are, this is what we're about, and this is what the Bible is about. So we're going to be about that. It's, it's, we see this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, when he says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Some of you are in marriages right now where you're praying for synergy. There's one person pulling hard in, in one direction and another person not. Man, how many of you are enjoying those marriages where when you both pull in the same direction and you walk together and you're working both hard together, what God does through that is beautiful and it's fruit-bearing. And we see this in Ecclesiastes. Same thing within the kingdom. He says also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist them. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. He's called us to labor together. So why is it so important? We need every member, every ministry, every person saying we together are going to lock arms with the kingdom of God and we're going to move in one direction for his namesake. This is Mark chapter 6 when Jesus sent his disciples out. This is what Paul had in mind when he appointed elders and when he appointed the church that we would all move together. Number three, you need to ask yourself, am I a part of what God wants to do in middle Georgia? Are you a part of what God wants to do in middle Georgia church? Let me just ask you honestly, do you believe Jesus wants middle Georgia to know him? I mean, do you believe that Jesus wants middle Georgia to praise his name, his name above every other name? Then are you a part of making that happen? Are you a part? Where, where, how are you combining your effort, your gifts, your talents, your resources, your time, your commitment to bring this to fruition? Are you a part of that? Man, I'll tell you what I pray for. I pray for workers like Epaphroditus. Man, some of you, that's how you describe people that you're working side by side right now in the kingdom. You say, man, this is my co-worker. This is my labor. This is my friend. This is my brother. This is my sister. That arm in arm, we are together working to labor to accomplish the mission of God. This is happening in D groups all over uh, Shirley Hills that are happening. So are you an Epaphroditus? I pray that God is going to raise up more Epaphroditus, that with synergy, we labor together for the kingdom. Everyone working to accomplish something bigger than themselves. Because Shirley Hills, listen to me. I don't want to be involved in something that we can do without God. I want to be involved in something that only God can do it. It's so much bigger than Shirley Hills. It's so much bigger than our budget. It's so much bigger than our brain can comprehend. Uh, if we could do it without him, then why do we need God? We need him. We need his power. We need his wisdom. We need his provision. If we only step in what we know that we can accomplish by ourselves, Jesus says without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I want to say, Lord, in faith, we are going to step out together and be a part of what you want to do in middle Georgia. Number four, what will you miss out on 
if you don't join us. I want you to just draw a circle around yourself for a second and ask yourself, if I don't say yes, what will I miss out on? You know, I can't imagine what it was like for some people who had the resources earlier when Google came out and they could have invested in, in Google and they didn't. Or what about Amazon? Could you imagine, like, man, they come into a presentation, like, listen, we're about to launch this thing. Amazon's going to be amazing. We're going to do this, this, and this. We want you to be on the ground floor opportunity. If you just invest just this little bit, man, you can, you can have 2% of the company. You know what they're doing right now? This morning, they're in a corner crying, thinking, I could have had 2% of Amazon that's taking over the world. They look back and regret. I wonder this morning, how many of you, even right now, when you look back on opportunities, you go, man, I wish I would have jumped on that. Man, I don't know about you, but I, I know about me. I don't want to miss out on what God has. I believe God has good things in store, not just for our church, but for middle Georgia and the nations. I believe there's a lot of people. God is doing a lot. There's a lot of places where God's just booming. And he's working. I want to join that. I want to be involved in God. What will you miss out if you don't? I know some of you are like, man, but, but I'm scared. But there's fear. But there's worry. But there's God. He is good and he is big. What will you miss out if you don't join us? What would you miss out if you just say, you know what, mm, I'm going to sit over on the sidelines and I'm just going to watch and I'm just going to wait till they prove that this is going to work. I'm just going to kind of sit back and watch. Here's what's going to matter. You're going to miss synergy. You're going to miss all of us moving together. And you're, while you're sitting and watching, I want to say jump in. Just jump in and watch what God does. But not only what will you miss out on if you don't join us, what will we miss out on if we don't join God in his work? Uh, over the next four weeks, you're going to hear a lot of things that are just straight from my heart, straight from what I feel like the Lord has is, is placed in me. God is doing something, and, and whether we like it or not, it, it's just what's happening. It, you can see this in middle Georgia, but you can see it really all over. Uh, the Georgia Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Convention is realizing that some of the statistics are just there. They're just real. Churches that are existing more than 10 years, like churches that are more than 10 years old. By the way, Shirley Hills is more than 10 years old. Those lights are more than 10 years old. <laughs> and so churches that are existing over 10 years old, here's what they're finding, that they are declining in growth. When they say growth, that's reaching people for Jesus, baptism, salvations, at a, at a certain clip. All right, And so they see that over 10 years, they're declining. But new church plants and, and new camp, church, churches that are planting new campuses, they're growing at a completely different clip. And so what's happening is uh, you're seeing, even in like a middle Georgia, churches that maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, they were like the church in town, and this happened all over America. They were like the place to go. Some of you, like when you were a kid in your hometown, there was like the church, and it was hopping. Every town kind of has like a the church. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Holy Spirit was there, people were getting saved, it was like an awesome place to be. And today, the churches are dying and closing their doors left and right. Because at some point, along the line, and, and we don't know where it's at, but at some point, we can say, God, you have given us enough that now we're going to make sure that we make decisions not to lose what you have given us. Instead of leveraging everything you have given us to continue to reach all the people that you have for us. This is the parable of the talents, where Jesus says the man was going out of town, and so he gave his labor some eight talents, some five talents, and some one. By the way, a talent is, is a lot of pounds. It was either gold or silver. If it was gold, it would be equivalent to about $1.4 million today. The person who had eight talents said, man, let's go, or four, I'm, I'm going to multiply, and he multiplies his talents. 
The man who had five talents, he multiplies talents. But the man that was given one, he says, mm-mm, I, I, I'm so scared I'm going to lose this. I'm just going to dig a hole and we'll bury it in there. And at some point, churches stop and, and they labor so hard to keep the 1.4 million we do have. And God has said, no, you, you've missed it. You've made, I've got 2.8 million that I want to give. That's just using a dollar figure. And we're saying, you know what? I want to make sure that we're laboring to keep who we do have. And God is saying, you've missed it. I want to use who you do have to reach who you don't have. So here's the mission that we're talking about. This is not to be so outward focused that we don't care and aren't thankful for the people we do have. This is we want to leverage all the people that we do have for the kingdom and work through you to reach all the people we don't have. God wants to use you. God wants to use us to leverage everything we've got for the kingdom. You say, is it worth it? Is it worth it in this time in our church to risk everything we have to try new things that doesn't seem safe? We've never done things this way. Is it worth it? Let me just say, I have no clue how long Jesus is going to let me live. I'm not promised another day. But what I want my son and my daughter to know of their dad is that he would risk everything for the name of Jesus every day that God lets them live. Jesus is worth it. Shirley Hills, hear me. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. He's worth you going to your neighbor. He's worth us going to the school system. He's worth us going into our community. And I just don't want to be comfortable being at church and not being the church. My prayer is that you would join us and say, I'm here. Pastor, I'm all in. Jesus, who will I send? Send me. Send my family. We want to love. We want to grow. We want to send. And we want to see Jesus reach the world. Will you stand with us now as we have a time where we can respond?